We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Hey, what is up, everybody? Welcome inside the Guilty as Charged podcast. My name is Steven. I am the host, as always. A uh, little different show this week for you guys. Uh, obviously, the Tyler is in Hawaii. Alex is working on some med school finals. So, uh, riding solo a little bit this week, but joining me for <laughs> our official episode of the week is our good friend, Kyle. Kyle, how are you doing, man? Doing great, Steven. How are you doing, buddy? I'm doing great. Happy to have you. Uh, obviously, Kyle... And all of us are still getting to know each other. So I actually uh, found out just barely that Kyle is actually a big Colorado Avalanche fan. And I've got to say, I'm uh, not a huge hockey guy myself, but I've been dabbling a little bit. I got to say, man, that game last night was freaking crazy. <laughs> Dude, I hope you had the over there, man. Just <laughs> goal after goal after goal. That's, that is what, you know, you like to see in playoff hockey. A lot of momentum changes, a lot of hits, a lot of goals, a lot of fun. So that was a blast. Yeah, I was laughing afterwards. They they asked, um, you know, to do like the post-game interview right away with, I, I forget his name. Obviously, I don't, I don't know him very well. But the reporter was like, hey, what was it like to be in that game? He's like, that wasn't playoff hockey. There was too many points. And I was like, all right, like this hockey guy is for real. You know, he's all about this defense. I appreciate it. But, uh, yeah, you know, I, I turned the game on. I think, like, the second period had just started. And so it was already, like, 5-3 to three or 5-2 to two or something like that. And I was like, geez, man, this game is about to go. This is like, you know, Rams-Chiefs back in the day that was, you know, 50-5 to five to 50 or whatever. But uh, it was a blast for sure. Yeah. Have you ever been to a game live, Steve? I've been to some minor league hockey games before um the where i grew up in salt lake city they have the uh they used to be called the salt lake city grizzlies i don't know if they're still called that but uh been to a couple games there um one i remember specifically one year when i was in college they had this like off-season edition that they were hyping up not because he was like good but because he led the minor leagues in fights and so it was go. like this big deal that they were getting like this enforcer and and he was going to lead the league in fights again. And so that's, that's <laughs> the experience of minor league hockey that I have. It's, it's fun to go see the games. I mean, it's, it's action packed. It's right there in front of you. So it's a good time. 
but we could do a whole show on that sometime if you want. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we could definitely do, uh, you know, we'll uh, learn some more about hockey and maybe, maybe I'll pick a team or two or something in next year. I don't know. We'll see. Um, but Kyle and I are here. We have a fun show planned for you guys today. We're going to talk about 10 questions that we want to see answered uh, in honor of the NFL season being 100 days away. Uh, this, of course, was as of May 31st when you kind of calendar it out to, you know, the Rams opening game on Thursday night in week one. Uh, that was 100 days. So we're just uh, over that mark right now, 100 days away from the Chargers season. So we have some questions that we hope are answered in that time frame between now and then. So uh, we're just going to have five questions. We'll discuss each question and, uh, you know, get some different input here. Obviously, Kyle is not with us on a week to week basis. And so uh, we'll get a different flavor to this kind of conversation. I'm excited to see how it goes. So, uh, Kyle, let's get to your first question here. Let me put up the uh, banner first and foremost. Ten questions we need answered before the season. We'll start with uh, Kyle's first qu question, man. Take it away. Yeah, so my first question is, and the one that has been pressing on me the most ever since the JT Woods pick is, will our base nickel, which as we all know, like nickel is the base formation essentially. Um, so will our base nickel more commonly feature three cornerbacks or three safeties? My hope and gut is that we see a lot more three safety looks than we do three cornerback looks because I really think with the way that Staley likes to um, basically always have one extra DB than what is traditionally standard for other defensive coaches, we need to have a little bit of girth out there. You know, we need to have a mm. slot or star defensive back that is really able to hold up against a block or really help contain the run. And I think that's where Derwin would be best utilized is if Derwin's in that slot role and JT is playing free um, or, you know, Nasir's playing strong or somehow you just weave those guys around doing different things back there. But what do you think, Steven? Yeah, this is a really interesting question for me because I think if you look back on the 2020 Rams when they had, uh, you know, of course, Darius Williams, Troy Hill, Jalen Ramsey, John Johnson, and I believe Taylor Rapp was kind of the guy at first. And then Jordan Fuller was kind of their version of JT Woods, if you will, in terms of being that, you know, uh, rookie incoming player who, who, I mean, he was a six-arm pick, so it's a little bit different, not as athletic as JT. But to me, if you go back and watch those players, there's a lot of similarities in the way they see things and the way that they're able to kind of process things happening in front of them. So... I think it's an interesting parallel because obviously Troy Hill, Bryce Callen, kind of similar players. You know, obviously the Chargers don't necessarily have a Jalen Ramsey kind of cornerback, but, you know, maybe that's Derwin, maybe that's Michael Davis. You don't really know. So that Rams team, I want to say, started the season with three corners and then they kind of shifted into playing three, three more three safety looks because of Jordan Fuller, because Jordan Fuller was you know, really kind of taking things in swing and really developing the way that they wanted him to. So this is an interesting question. And then, of course, you go to like the 2021 Rams. Obviously, Staley wasn't there. But last year, it kind of stayed three corners because they put where they would put Jalen Ramsey into the slot. So there's a lot of like interesting, you know, schematic tentacles, if you will, between, you know, what Brandon Staley has done 
what maybe some of his, you know, the other Vic Fangio disciples have done. So I'm very curious to see that, how this one plays out for sure. Awesome. Awesome. Yeah. Let's, um, all right. That pretty much answers that one, Steven. Let's go to yours. <laughs> all right. Sounds good. Um, obviously, you know, could not have a, a, a conversation like this without talking about the offensive line. Um, and then we've talked a lot about, you know, the right tackle spot and what the Chargers should do there. Um, so I did not want to go that route. So my route is more specifically on the position coaches. So my question is how much of last year's offensive line success was because of Frank Smith? Like how much are they going to miss Frank Smith, obviously the Miami offensive coordinator and, you know, kind of tying into that. What really can we expect from Brendan Nugent? Obviously we had, you know, Ode Abuji on our show, um, after the season in late January, and he really loved working with Sean Surratt, who's obviously kind of the assistant offensive line coach. So they're not losing both guys, which I think is important. But uh, I'm curious your take here. How big of a transition do you think Frank Smith to Brendan Nugent will be for this team? You know, I like that there is familiarity with Lombardi. Um, I think the most important thing, though, is really um, that we have Lindsley. I, I'm I, I get kind of mind blown that centers aren't the most uh, aren't the highest paid offensive line position personally. Just after what okay. we saw with our years of floundering at that position, I mean, the last time we were in the playoffs, and there was a you know a little bit of a gap between that time and the last time as well, was the one year that we had Pouncey healthy, and. Philip Rivers wasn't having to lean over the offensive line or Philip Rivers wasn't having to lean over the center and make the offensive line calls for them and then go through his cadence. Like having a good stout leader um, on the line, I think is, is, is huge at that center spot. Um, so I, I think that, I, I think a lot of the improvement we saw on the offensive line, obviously Slater was a big part of it, but yeah. I think a lot of it boiled down to having a stud right there at that center spot, you know, brings us back to those Hardwick days. Um, so I, I'm not as concerned with losing him, although I really liked Frank Smith, but I'm, I'm, I'm open. I'm open. I think we have a lot of veteran leadership on that line and we should be fine. Yeah. What do you think? No, I think, you know, talking about Corey Lindsley in this conversation is perfect. And I'm so glad that you mentioned that just really quickly in terms of, you know, financially, we're, we've seen the center position improve a little bit recently. Of course, you know, Corey Lindsay has a big part to, uh, you know, share there as the Chargers, when they paid him, he was the highest paid center in the league that lasted like two days. And then the Lions gave <laughs> Frank Ragnow $13.5 million. Ryan Jensen just got 13 per year. And then Jason Kelsey signed back for this one year for 14. So there aren't a ton of elite centers out in there in the league, in my opinion. I think, you know, those four players, you can talk about Ryan Kelly. Of course, you talk about Creed Humphrey. Um, so there aren't necessarily the volume of, you know, top tier centers like there are, you know, tackles or, or even guards. So I think we're seeing that, that position come full swing. But in terms of Corey Lindsay, like he is that emotional vocal leader there. And I think having that kind of player will pay huge dividends for Brendan Nugent as he tries to, you know, come into this situation and, and, you know, establish himself as an offensive line coach. You know, we really only saw him in New Orleans be that guy for one season. 
he was an assistant offensive line coach before that. I want to say like a quality control coach. So it's been a long time coming for him. And we've already seen, you know, this position be one of uh, a good stepping stop, stepping stone opportunity. So, you know, Brendan Nugent can come in, you know, really tutor Zion Johnson, maybe settle the right tackle position. Then, you know, we might be talking about another rising star in Brendan Nugent. So I'm excited to see how this one pay, plays out. I'm excited to see how this group kind of gels. Obviously, you have a lot more continuity than at this time last season. So I think, you know, if you watch like the all in videos from Frank Smith, right, like you see his personality. And I think his personality was so important because of what the Chargers were going through, essentially replacing five starters from last year. So uh, curious to see how this one plays out for sure. Awesome. And then that, that brings us to you, Stephen. Right? Yeah. Uh, oh, no, back yeah, to me. Yeah, back to my you. You're good. <laughs> um, yeah, so my second question was, and, and you know, I, I've talked about this um, on a previous podcast of ours. I I was elated when we signed you or Kyle Van Noy. Um, <laughs> I, I, I was thrilled. I was like, for me, that was, again, one of those signings that, Previously, it seemed like Kyle Van Noy would have been somebody signed to replace somebody or take on a starting role. And here we have him for depth, which is awesome. But it got me thinking, you know, with his flexibility or with his versatility, uh, being able to flex him out to, you know, stand up linebacker role, maybe um, taking some snaps on third down at, um, at middle linebacker or something of the sort. How often do you think we might see Mac Bosa and Van Noy on the field at the same time? Or do you think he's going to be just regulated to, you know, spelling Mac and Bosa so they really last the whole season? Yeah, I hope the answer to this question is often, right? Because I I think we saw them kind of flirt with a little bit of, you know, the idea with kicking Bosa inside, you know, especially on third downs. Um, it was kind of out of necessity when Justin Jones was was injured. And, you know, you saw some very successful, you know, stunts and blitzes and pressure looks with Bosa rushing against guards, you know, early often in this early on in the season last year. So my thought process is in signing Kyle Van Oy is that you're bringing him in as a pass rusher only and who can, you know, play linebacker off off the ball from time to time. But I think you're bringing him in to do more of those, you know, designer looks as Brandon Staley likes to call them. And so, you know, I just did my uh, deep dive on the Chargers pass rush that dropped on Monday for uh, patrons and YouTube members only. But, uh, you know, Kyle Van Oy swapping him in for Kyler Fackrell, I think is, is going to be a huge addition for this team. And I think it just gives them more flexibility. Now, if you can stop the run, get into more third and long looks, and you can bring in this look, you bring in Morgan Fox onto the field, Blitz Derwin, Blitz Nas, Blitz Kenneth Murray, Troy Reader, whoever you know you have a linebacker, and really just get after people in a way that Brandon Staley could could simply not do last year. Definitely, definitely, yeah. It, and just having it's really interesting seeing these players that Staley's been picking up. They almost all of them seem to have flex, like they can be yeah. utilized in just all these different ways, and. I think that's really exciting to see, even with like Fox, like, and they, 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 a lot of them seem like tweeners, like Fox is, you know, a smaller guy, you know, weight wise for, for a defensive end, for somebody that's going to be playing in our interior. 
but they all are have these this position flex, this uh, athleticism to them. Kyle Van Noy certainly has that. So I, I am so excited to see what Staley does with the defense this year. Like it is, it is yeah. something to watch. It's going to be very, very neat. Yeah, you know Kyle Van Noy, Morgan Fox, they're they're all you know very versatile, flexible players, and um, you know Sebastian Joseph Day, I feel like is another one because I think you know he probably starts you know in, in terms of base packages, he's probably your your one technique, but he can play the three technique, he can play the four, he can play the mm-hmm. five as well, and I think Austin Johnson has some of that flexibility too. So you know this defensive line is going to have a lot of moving parts more so than we're used to okay Jerry Tillery is your four tech your three tech <laughs> Justin Jones is three tech Lamon Joseph one tech so it's going to be a lot less rigid for this group and I'm excited to see you know really how these snaps are to be up I really hope that uh Brandon Staley has learned his lesson in terms of defensive line rotation and needing to keep six bodies and keep them fresh so uh, I hope that's a lesson that he's learned for sure I think the way I would describe like how Staley must be looking at this and what could be really fun, what we might, you know, be the benefactors of is I really think Staley is going to have a very, very fun year on defense. <laughs> sure. Like I, I, he's got, he's bringing back, like he's only, he's, it's practically a family reunion for him with all these players he's brought back, you know, it's like a, Fox and a Mac, like it's like a best, it's like a, the best hits of his career type deal. Sebastian Joseph Day, putting them all together, and um, like you said, so versatile, so many different things he can do. Like it, I can't imagine it not being ridiculously fun to be calling the plays as a defensive yeah. coordinator this season. Yeah, so we'll just, just see yeah. how that translates. And they, uh, you know, they tweeted about the uh, organized activities and as kind of a, an ode to stepbrothers and. I think you look at Brandon Staley feeling the same kind of way. Like you have so much more room for activities, more room for more personnel packages. <laughs> and <laughs> I, I'm excited to see how he uses that, man. I think he can be a little bit more of a, of a mad genius this year than, than he was able to be last year, especially after all the injuries started happening. You know, you're starting Ryan Smith and Tavon Campbell at corner against the Minnesota Vikings. It's like, well, how am I supposed to blitz on third down? I don't have corners who can do anything. Yeah, yeah. So uh, my next question here uh, is about Isaiah Spiller. We've talked a little bit about, you know, kind of our expectations in here. So I wanted to get your thoughts uh, on this question. You know, obviously a lot of people had a a lot of high expectations for Joshua Kelly, especially after that uh, first game against Cincinnati in 2020. So I'm curious to get your thoughts here. If you think that Isaiah Spiller is somebody that will fall short of those expectations or if he'll live up to them, have a good season, or maybe we're looking at a potential, you know, sleeper rookie of the year candidate in terms of, uh, you know, exceeding those expectations and making a big time difference for this team right away. I hope he's nowhere near rookie of the year candidacy personally. Okay. Only because only because I, I think we have a very unique and um, well structured running back room that should be very balanced in usage and you know for for him to be a candidate for something or really break out he would need to be featured heavily i think and i just i hope eckler stays healthy we'll talk about this in a little bit i hope we get a lot of uh, a lot of xander time and i just i i think I, I think he will live up to expectations as somebody that's going to be able to come in and be that change of pace guy that we've needed for Eckler for so long. 
he doesn't need to be the power back, which is great. He can just be a somebody to help spell Eckler, maybe get Eckler more time flexed out in the slot or something like that, or um, get him even more involved as a receiver. But I don't think there needs to be, and I, I just, I personally don't have super high expectations of Spiller right now. So I expect him to meet the threshold of a fourth round pick where he's just comes in and contributes as a role player, um, as a rotational guy. And hopefully that's that. And our offense is just so balanced that, you know, he just is a steady chugger, you know? Yeah. I'm glad you used the word balance there. Cause I think one of the reasons why you, somebody like Isaiah Spiller probably is a little bit more attractive to the chargers than, you know, maybe we might have thought heading in is, is that ability that he has as a pass catcher, because last year, everybody kind of knew Larry Roundtree comes in the game, charge is probably running, mm-hmm. or he's pass protecting. <laughs> you know, there's there's yeah. no real threat of him, you know, as a route runner. And I think you could maybe make an argument that Joshua Kelly is a little bit more well-balanced as, as an individual if you're able to get rid of the fumbles. He's a little bit more capable as a receiver. But now you have Spiller who can kind of give you a, a bit of both. And I, I thought it was – Interesting earlier this morning, uh, Timo Risk, who writes for uh, PFF along with Arjun, um, was kind of looking at tendencies for uh, how many teams are seeing eight men boxes or six men boxes, and, and how do those teams, you know, kind of see it more often, less often. Obviously, the Titans uh, led the league in seeing eight men boxes last year. Broncos mm-hmm. very much in that category as well, and the Patriots, and so. Then you look at who sees six men boxes the most and the chiefs, no surprise were leading that category. Mm-hmm. And then you have the chargers and the Cardinals tied for second in terms of seeing six men boxes the most on a down to down basis. So Isaiah Spiller is going to have a lot of clean looks for this team in terms of not having to run into eight men boxes very often. Like you said, bringing that balance uh, as part of the equation, and then teams just can't – you can't load the box against Justin Herbert, man. So there's a really good opportunity for Spiller to come in right away and, and make a strong impact. Maybe it's not 1,000-yard season, but maybe he's averaging, you know, five carry, five yards of carry, five and a half yards of carry, and just is super efficient in the touches that he does get. Definitely, definitely. As I'm looking at ahead at our, at our questions – just as a spoiler for everybody, I'm so proud of us for not bringing up Pipkins or Storm. So, yeah. so pat, round of applause for us. You know, <laughs> we're we're we're, we're, get, we're getting some deeper questions than just what's out there on the surface. Um, okay, so I'll um, transition to my third question, yeah. and as you know, compensatory pick mind like this is weighing on me quite a bit. Um, and I guess a, a good way to kind of introduce this is it's really been a phenomena recently that, you know, with college offenses being more modern now or being like um, really developing wide receivers better. So we're seeing first year, second year receivers really explode like we had it in years prior. Um, the rule used to be third year as a receiver in this league is when you explode. And Guyton is getting into his third year. There was that first year where he was pretty much just on the practice squad. So he didn't get an accrued year of veterancy, but this will be his third year as a full-time player, full-time starter, full as a vet or crude years, whatever you call it. 
what do you think his ceiling is? Will we see improvement? Will we see a big uptick in his ability and potentially see him explode? Yeah, I don't know if we'll see him explode. I think he certainly has improved over, you know, the last couple of years as as a route runner, as a receiver. I think we've seen him have less drops and I think we've seen him be a little bit more consistent, you know, or especially early on in the in the season last year, they were kind of doing some more short route concepts with him and I thought that he looked pretty good in that role and then, you know, Josh Palmer kind of emerged, so he went back more to his uh deep ball role. And so I think if you're talking about his best case scenario, unfortunately, like, unfortunately that would involve uh, Keenan or Mike Williams kind of missing games, you know, obviously, because those two Mm -hmm. are going to be such target hogs for Justin Herbert this year. But I think Jalen Guyton could easily, you know, eclipse 500 yards again, easily eclipse, you know, four or five touchdowns again. And, you know, I I think it's, it's interesting because we just saw the chiefs pay Marquez Valdez Scantling, a good chunk of change. <laughs> and, you know, I think if you're kind of comparing the two, obviously Valdez Scanley is a little bit taller, has more of like the physical profile as, as like a, a stereotypical X kind of player who can play other things. Whereas Jalen Guyton's kind of a backside Z kind of player. But, you know, if you're talking about like how these guys compare, Jalen Guyton actually has put up better seasons than what Marquez Valdez Scanley has really outside of 2020. Valdez Scanlon kind of broke out in that third season. You know, he had 690 yards, six touchdowns. But then last year, he only had 430 yards and three touchdowns. And Jalen Guyton could, you know, easily kind of stack up in, in that regard. So I think if you're talking about his best case scenario, you're looking at that Valdez Scanlon 2020 season, maybe he gets up to 700 yards and he gets seven touchdowns. But it's just going to be difficult for him because of who he's playing with. Yeah. No, I, and you took the market comp that I, uh, I've been looking <laughs> at too, man. MVS is the most, like, he is the most direct comparison you can really make to Guyton's career. And it, like, like you were mentioning, if Guyton gets six or 700 yards, um, which I think is attainable in a, in a 17 game season with, like you said, maybe four or five, six touchdowns, all of a sudden he's, like you said, he's right in that mix of, you know, getting a 10, 11, $12 million a year contract potentially. And MVS, although, you know, if you put their careers side by side and say like statistically, they put up around the same numbers, I would give Guyton a greater level of difficulty to get there because he's had to, you know, steal catches from Williams, from Allen, like, MVS was maybe a Rod's second option. I don't know. Like it was always kind yeah. of murky where where it where it fell from there. So I don't know. I'm really excited to see how Guyton does, and if there is some you know to that argument of you know is was the deep ball an issue of pass blocking last year? You know, do we see? a couple more bombs be unleashed by Herbert and the howitzer and um, Guyton gets downfield a couple more times and stops having to wave, you know, that he's open for, to no avail. So we'll see. Yeah. You know, people kind of, people are, are always up in arms about the lack of a deep ball, but I think there's a lot of contributing factors there. And it's not like there's non-existent, you know, the, the Chargers are still 
you know, right in the bordering top 10 in, in most categories when it comes to frequency in deep balls and success in that rate. So I certainly think, you know, adding Zion Johnson, having more time should definitely help Jalen Guyton, you know, get a couple more deep balls thrown his way. So kind of an extension off of that. I'm very curious to see what happens with DeAndre Carter this year. You know, the Chargers, of course, only kept five receivers last year. Really only kept four because their fifth was always their returner. Not super involved unless somebody was injured or, you know, they were playing a ton of snaps against the Las Vegas Raiders in week 18. But I think you are looking at Carter as potentially somebody who's a little bit more well-rounded of a returner slash receiver than somebody like Andre Roberts was. It's obviously a better returner than KJ Hill, but I'm curious about your expectations for Carter as an offensive player, as opposed to just what he's able to do on special teams. I think anything we get from him on offense is just sprinkles on the donut, man. Like <laughs> this thing, we're, we're looking pretty darn set set at wide receiver. I feel like, yeah. And, I, you know, whatever we get is just a bonus in my mind. If if he adds some sort of wrinkle or element, that's great. But is he in need? I I, I don't – I like it in the sense of, you know, going back to week 18 with the Raiders where Mike Williams was having to put the team on his back and play when everybody was gassed. Now, are we going to have another 80 offensive play game? Hopefully not. Or – as long as we win, hopefully, yes, because that was, <laughs> but, but if, uh, we have to, yeah, 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 exactly. But you, from a depth perspective, is it great to have somebody like you said that would, that can take on a role more so than Roberts? Yes. Maybe somebody that's just can fill in when somebody needs to be spelled or if we have injuries, but at our base offense with, you know, everything laid out and everyone healthy, like it's all just sprinkles on the donut. I, I'm really happy with where we're sitting right now with our starting lineup and even our depth pieces beyond that. This is the most excited I've been about both sides of the ball, I think ever. So very fired up. Yeah, I think that's a good way to put it in terms of his specific role. I think you're, you're kind of talking about balance to a lesser extent, right? Cause I feel like Andre Roberts wasn't necessarily super involved in terms of his snap load, in terms of his, uh workload but i feel like every time he came in it was like almost always an end around or like he would just run you know like a flat route so i'm hoping that carter can be used a little bit more versatile than that so I i'm yeah. hoping that it's not super predictable when he comes in oh he's gonna motion he's either gonna run a flat route or he's gonna get the ball and run so and you know justin herbert kind of pointed out that they could do some end around stuff with gerald everett too so I, I think they have more options to kind of stretch defenses horizontally with those two players. And uh, I'm hoping that Carter can get 10 snaps a game, maybe a catch here and there, a uh, handoff here and there, and just not be super predictable in the way that they use him. Mm -hmm. Definitely, definitely. All right, Kyle, let's get to your uh, fourth question here. Yeah, can I go off script and delete that question? Of course. The, the audience doesn't know what it is, so let's just get rid of it. It was a Tillery <laughs> one, guys, and we don't need to bring that up. So let's move on from that. Um, I, it's something that's been on my mind quite a bit is, you know, I think most of these are defensive questions, I guess, for me, but except for Guyton. But um, I am fascinated with what Staley is going to do with this defense. And 
from what I've studied, a big part of his defense is having a cornerback that can basically shut down the weak side of the field, uh, lock somebody up in man coverage. But I know, like you said, with, with Ramsey, um, he moved him around a little bit more than when I'm mapping out how this season should look than what I might be um, predicting. So do you believe, I guess this is a two prong question. Number one, do you believe that we will see uh, Jackson move all over the field and shadow a number one, which is going to be tough when we get to games like the Raiders, because even though Devonta is like number one, number one, Renfro's no slouch either. Right. Um, and then the follow-up there is, do you think somebody like Asante Davis or even Callahan will be a good enough man-on-man guy to basically take that weak side man, man-on-man assignment if um, J.C. Jackson gets flexed to another part of the field, like in the slot or on the strong side um, receiver? Yeah, again, this is just something that I'm really excited to see because Brandon Staley said that they signed J.C. to be that guy who goes up against number one targets. But the interpretation of who is a number one target is always up for debate because if you're talking about the Raiders – Maybe the number one target might actually be like Darren Waller. Maybe it might be Hunter mm-hmm. Renfro in terms of like distribution or maybe in terms of like priority in, in terms of shutting down. Because I feel like, I mean, obviously Devonta Adams is, is my pick for the best receiver in the sport, but you can more easily help on a Devonta Adams because he does a lot more of the deep stuff. So you can shade coverage his way. You can, you know, have a bracket on him. Whereas if you're somebody against Hunter Renfro, you have to win as soon as the ball snaps. You do not have time. And it's mm-hmm. you know very similar you know when teams are playing against Keenan Allen. And so I think if you put J.C. Jackson against Renfro, I would understand that because you're trying to shut down the immediate threat and give help to kind of the, the vertical deep threat. So it is going to be interesting how Brandon Staley kind of interprets that on a week-to-week basis. Is J.C. Jackson going to guard Travis Kelsey one-on-one? Is he going to guard, you know, C.D. Lamb, Cooper Cup? Or is he going to go up against, like, Allen Robinson? Is he going to go up against Juju? So I think Brandon Staley's idea is for him to shadow number one, number ones. But as we've seen, you know, Bill Belichick employ his number one corners, sometimes his interpretation of the number one in terms of shutting down is not necessarily, like, a team's wide receiver one but instead like the more immediate threat to their defense. Definitely. Yeah. And, and that, so if, if they do move him around, do you have faith in Asante to lock somebody up on that weak side? I do. I I think we see Asante take a big leap forward this year. Personally, you know, we've seen uh, some other cornerbacks take big leaps in, in the second year. Obviously, you know, Trayvon Diggs comes to mind what he did this past season. You can talk about, one of my guys, Jalen Johnson with the Bears, who kind of came into his own as a second-year corner. So we saw glimpses of it, right, like against Chase Claypool, against uh, Amari Cooper, where, you know, Asante was really holding his own. Even in training camp, we saw him go against Keenan Allen quite a bit and and really be (laughs) the best corner against Keenan last year in training camp. So I'm very excited to see what Asante can do this year. And Bryce Callahan, I have less questions about his – ability and more questions about his availability if he can stay healthy how many games are we getting 
in, in mm -hmm. a very similar vein of, of Chris Harris last year. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Well, yeah, let's get to, uh, let's get to your fourth question, Steven. All right. My this next question one. here is something we kind of talked about with the linebacker rotation. What happens if Kenneth Murray never really recovers from his ankle issues? Obviously he had two ankle injuries last year. He's had ankle surgery this year, shoulder surgery last year. So the injuries, unfortunately, are really starting to pile up with Kenneth Murray. And, you know, we've we've kind of talked about this with several, you know, people around football who, you know, recovering from an injury like this is is almost more mental than it is physical because, you know, they'll recover from it in terms of a physical aspect. But what happens if Kenneth Murray is never really that confident in his ability anymore because of his injuries? What does the team do? Do they kind of ride it out with him? So I'm curious your thoughts here. I don't think we've seen enough of a of a tier. I don't think there's enough of a drop off between Kenneth and what we have available to start in his place to justify putting him out early. I would really like to see them go take the mindset of he's going to prove his way back on the field, both via his health and his play, then we assume from the get-go that, you know, he is going to be ready to start or he is going to be ready to play early. Um, yeah. I, I've blown my knee ACL and meniscus and tried to get back into playing hockey and football a little too soon and re-injured re -injured it pretty quickly, even though the knee itself was fine, just muscles around it got jacked up. And it's just like you said, confidence is a big deal. And if he comes back and – it's still lingering or giving him issues that will just further just plunk that confidence. So yeah. I would, I would take, take his, take our time, even if he's not ready to play until, you know, after our um, bye week personally. And I really like Neiman. I really like Nick Neiman. Troy readers done it in this defense. So it's not like there's going to be a huge drop off. I, I would think if Troy reader or if, if he has to step up, um, but I really want to see Nick Neiman get, be given a chance to yeah. have a significant role. Cause I think he has a very, you know, good ceiling. Yeah. I don't know if you know this, but, uh, in our last mock draft of 2020, Tyler actually had us taking Nick Neiman. So Nick, Nick Neiman's a bit of a, uh, personal touch on, on this team, if you will, for, for our show. So. Uh, I'm excited to see what Nick Neiman can do this year as well. And I, I think you, again, you see these linebackers coming to the league and just grow so much mentally after having a full season under your belt. So, you know, he's had the chance to learn behind Jordan Traquil, learn behind Kenneth Murray, of course, Kaiser White. Now he's got uh, Troy Reader, who's been in this system and done so successfully over the past few years. So Nick Neiman has the upside, the physicality to play this position for this team is just how much of a learning cur curve has he had. And I think, you know, we'll see a little bit more of that this year. But he led the team in special teams, or not special teams, he led the team in total tackles during the preseason and really kind of showed those glimpses that we wanted to see. But in terms of Kenneth Murray, like I think Brandon Staley said that he'll be ready for training camp. But at the same time, we've seen time and time again how this staff kind of eases players back into things. So mm -hmm. if Kenneth Murray's not healthy until week one, like that's the first time he's cleared to participate like 100%, you 
I would hope that they kind of ease things into him and kind of lean on Trent Drew Tranquil, who we didn't really mention, Troy Reader and the rest of that group, maybe have him be in more situational roles, almost like they did with Denzel Perriman in, in 2020 when it was like, okay, mm-hmm. Denzel's going to be our supporting guy. He's not going to be a full-time starter unless we need him to. And then if Murray earns more snaps, then he earns more snaps. But I'm just curious to see like if Murray suffers a setback, if he's not necessarily trusting himself, will they, you know, have kind of the confidence in those other guys to say, Hey, you know what, we're just going to wipe our hands essentially of this situation. We'll let Kenneth have, you know, until like you mentioned bye week and then we'll see, do they trust those other guys for the first seven games to handle it from the linebacker position on their own. And with, with Tillery not getting his fifth year option exercised, could we see, yeah. You know, the second player. I mean, maybe Herbert doesn't get his exercise either because we just go ahead and re-sign him. But yeah, that's but, a bit, yeah, yeah. You're right. <laughs> but will um could you know it's it's an interesting um kind of clash right there. You guys have done a great job covering how we have not re-signed our linebackers, but we also typically always exercise the fifth year option. So Two contrasting ideas coming to a head here. Do we end up, you know, what would Murray have to do at this point to get that fifth-year option exercised? I think play pretty darn well and not get, like, pretty much stay healthy for, come back healthy from for this season and have a healthy season next year, I think. Otherwise, they might be very okay with letting him walk. Yeah, I feel like, you know, just kind of projecting things forward. If Murray plays at his best... I feel like they would have no issue picking up the option because I, to me, that's a little different than signing somebody like Kaiser White to a long-term deal, which was kind of the mm-hmm. big debate of this offseason. And, and then he ended up signing for a short-term deal in Philadelphia. But, you know, Kaiser's perceived market wasn't necessarily that expensive. The issue was just kind of the long-term kind of potentially need that you would have to attach to yourself to. So I think we've seen that Brandon City is, is okay living on the short term with these linebackers. But I feel like if Murray's best case scenario plays at maybe a Pro Bowl type of level over the next year or two, then his fifth year option, I would believe, would be closer to like $12 million. So mm-hmm. if you're talking about best case for Kenneth Murray, you almost have to pick up that option. But then again, like you said, just like the financial debate there of how much money are you willing to invest in the linebacker position, even if it's just for a year. Yeah, and I think you you um, you hit the nail on the head there. I I think it would take Pro Bowl style play because yeah. he wasn't drafted by Staley, uh, and Staley did does have two guys that he brought on this team and name and name and Neiman and Amen that he's been very high on. So it'll be interesting. And that's right around the time where those guys should be getting the chance to start. So it'll be interesting to see how that plays out. Yeah, definitely. All right, Kyle, let's get to uh, your last question here. I'm sure people are very anxiously awaiting it. Yeah. Yeah. Let's, let's talk about my favorite guy, uh, the off season. Um, How large of an impact can a seventh round rookie fullback have on a team? (laughs) That's my question. And I think a huge impact. What do you think, Stephen? <laughs> yeah, I mean, if you're talking about like statistical impact, I don't think he'll have a huge impact. But, you know, I, I think one of the reasons you're drafting 
a guy like Xander Horvath as opposed to just waiting is because you want that flexibility, again, that balance to have a guy who's legitimately carried the rock in college, who has legitimately shown off some receiving chops and has a great athletic profile that you can develop into some special teams. So I think he'll be certainly more involved than we saw Gabe Neighbors or Steven Anderson be in terms of that fullback role. But to me, the most exciting role is for him in terms of his growth and long-term development is can he become kind of that H-back hybrid spot as well as just being the fullback? Because I feel like Derek Watt kind of had that ability, but was um, only used as a fullback. So I know you're excited about everything. To me, I'm most excited to see Horvath's ability. Can he kind of develop into an H-back tight end blocker, if you will, in addition to playing the fullback spot? Yeah. I'm really excited that, you know, like there's always like um, responses to the current trends in, in football, like back in the day, like around the LT era, like, you know, it was a more smash mouth league and defenses were, you know, linebackers were bigger and stronger. And then, you know, the base offense kind of turned into people got away from the I form and started having more three receiver sets as their based offense. So then all of a sudden you saw the evolution of defense where linebackers became smaller and we had more defensive backs on the field. Um, well, we've kind of retur- gotten so far into defending the pass and it being a pass centric league that teams like the Titans, like you were saying, have come in and forced teams to play out of scheme for what yeah. they tr- probably are used to playing and loading the box with eight people. We're not one of those teams. We, like you said, face a lot of six man boxes, but if Xander does what I think he can do and looking at his tape, he can force teams to have to load up that box a little bit. He is a force to bring down. He's big guy. Um, he's not, he doesn't sacrifice much speed in for his size. Like his elite RAS score is pretty incredible. And when you watch him, he looks to me like a very NFL ready player, like his, yeah. with his size, his cuts, his ability to read. Um, I'm really excited if, if that turns, you know, six men boxes into seven men boxes and frees up a little bit on the outside for Herbert, I think it's going to be, it could have a, a lasting impact, not necessarily just in his stats, but and how it could force teams to play against us. Yeah, absolutely. And I, you know, I think you bring up a great point again of just about, you know, keeping this offense as balanced and versatile as possible. And, you know, if Justin Herbert is facing, you know, less too high fronts than he was last year, then I think that's a really good thing. Like it keeps defenses honest. And I think, you know, we've heard from, I don't know if you listen to, uh, coach Vass or, or read any like Ted Wynn stuff, but um, they're two of the best in, in terms of, you know, football scheme schematics and things that. like that. I would definitely recommend anyone check them out, but you know, they've talked about the evolution of the too high scheme in today's NFL kind of being that counter, that defensive counterattack to guys like Herbert, Patrick Mahomes and Josh Allen. Well, what's the offensive counterattack to the too high is running the ball as we saw with against the Chargers defense last year, it's like, okay, you're going to play six man fronts against me. We're just going to run the ball and you're not going to be able to stop Josh Jacobs in fourth, in the fourth quarter in overtime. So Spiller and Horvath can kind of come in and have that same effect for uh, the Chargers offense. It might mean less passing yards for Justin Herbert. It might mean more explosive plays for Justin Herbert. And so I, I think in terms of his value, 
will could you know of course outweigh his actual statistical impact it's pretty exciting to think about thinking where we were last year with our running back room and thinking what if we added two solid complementary pieces to Eckler? Yeah. not just one but two and we might have those and I will say Har- Harvath was the only pick that I actually screamed at my TV over. <laughs> what the heck? A fullback in the squad? And then I like looked, got on the YouTubes and watched his uh, highlight yeah. reels and everything. I was like, oh, okay. Okay. I like this. This is good. This is yeah. good. You know, my, uh, Tom Delesco compared him to Mike Allstott. I think that's a little rich for my face, but uh, you know, I think Horvath can certainly carve out a role for this team, be an effective player. And again, just create some, you know, external value, if you will, for what they want to do on offense. And it, I'm sure if Tyler were here, one of his 10 questions would be like, are we a run first team? I don't think that's necessarily the case, but I think <laughs> they'll certainly be a little more run heavy, a little bit more balanced in that regard with Spiller, Horvath, Zion Johnson, Jamari Salyer, all these kind of other draft picks that we've seen too. Could he be a Peyton Hillis? I think he could not not Peyton Hillis that was on the Madden cover and like led the league in rushing, but you know those other years where Hillis was kind of like you know the the third piece and gets you you know two hundred fifty yards rushing a season. Like I think yeah. I think Horvath could certainly do that kind of role. Okay. That yeah, one year of Peyton Hillis, man, and he had like the reverse LT uh, helmet <laughs> face mask. It was yeah, it was that's... wonderful, and then he just like vanished into nothing. Yeah, but. Okay. Uh, all right, we'll wrap this up with my last question. This is something that I'm really excited to see. What does year two look like from a defensive front standpoint under Brandon Staley? We've kind of talked a little bit about it with the Mac, Bosa, and Kyle Vannoy question. But if you watch the 2020 Rams and you watch the 2021 Chargers from a defensive front standpoint, they're not very similar in terms of the personnel packages that they employed. And I think if you watch the Rams, you see a lot more versatility. You see a lot more, you know, five one fronts as opposed to you know like a true three four or like a four two in terms of nickel packages, like we already talked about too. But I, I think now that Staley has the horses to kind of move things around, I'm just so curious to see what that looks like in terms of personnel packages, and again being less rigid more fluid in his second year as the head coach and defensive play caller here. Yeah. Yeah. And I think you just, you called it out. I would love to see way more five, one fronts, just our tight front. When, when we utilized that last year, we were so much more effective as a defense. And that was when we had our band of misfits uh, on the front. So plug in our, our new acquisitions and our new, um, you know, Mac and the guys we have across the front now and start running that tight front again. And I, I really think the sky's the limit, but we'll see. Yeah, man. I, I'm just, <laughs> I think looking back, we kind of did it a service to the defense in terms of our expectations. And, you know, of course, a lot of the injuries did not help, you know, losing Chris Harris right away, even though Chris Harris was never really himself. Like, even that right away just kind of took flexibility away from the team. And then you lose Justin Jones week one. And then, you know, you're just forced into so many different things that just constrict your defense because you don't have that kind of depth that you need, Mm -hmm. you know, even losing Mark Webb, you know, forcing you to play Trey Marshall for, you know, the whole middle of the season. And now you have all of these capable players 
And that to me is like, you know, people on the outside are like, oh, the Chargers haven't made the playoffs. Like they always get this hype. And it's like, well, they've always had the top 10 in terms of their players. They've always had star players. But the depth of this team, I am so excited to watch how this pans out because they just have so many more options aside from just like, okay, Philip Rivers is really good. Melvin Ingram, really good. You know, you're just relying on those players to be those great players. Now they have a JT Woods. Now they have a Morgan Fox who can come in and just really excel at their complementary role and give Brandon Staley, Joe Lombardi, just more options as play callers. Yeah. There's this habit to already want to downplay how good this defense can be because we know that Mac is a little older and coming, coming off an injury and Bosa has been used like so heavily, like, is he going to hold up all season? But with our projections of our defense, I think most of us as Charger fans are already cooking that into the equation and are not, are not even really allowing ourselves to think about just how great this defense can be if, you know, health stays on our side. If we get Mac and Bosa healthy for that playoff run, it's going to be filthy. It's going to be absolutely disgusting and amazingly fun to watch. Like it could be that's that is the stuff of a generationally significant defense. So yeah, I can't say enough good things about it. Absolutely, Kyle. Really excited about everything. So glad that you were able to join me. I feel bad though. I did not even acknowledge the bolo tie today. So that is a <laughs> mistake on my end. The ever consistent Steven. bolo tie. It's all right. It's going to be here every podcast. So I might be sw- switching in some other ones, but, um, but yeah, that's, that's going to be the thing for, it'll be my calling card for you. There we go. <laughs> I appreciate it. So uh, as always, if you are not following Kyle, make sure you do so. He's doing some fantastic work for us. Um, really excited about, you know, what he is bringing to the table. You can file him, follow him on not file. You can follow him <laughs> on Twitter at the Kyle D. So make sure and check him out. Kyle, thanks for joining me today. Everybody else, uh, thanks for tuning in. Appreciate all of your support. If you are uh, listening to this, always leave, as always, leave us a rating or a view. If you're watching, be sure to uh, like the channel, subscribe, all that good stuff. Kyle, everybody else, we'll see you next time. It's happening daily. We're being conned by the institutions we used to trust. The mainstream media is distracting us with meaningless headlines instead of focusing on the harsh realities facing American families. Time is short before something big happens, and that's why so many folks are preparing. They're becoming self-reliant by investing in emergency food storage from My Patriot Supply. Go to MyPatriotSupply.com and secure four-week emergency food kits for each member of your family. Each kit contains tasty breakfasts, lunches, and dinners, averaging over 2,000 calories per day. Save $50 on each four-week food kit you purchase. Plus, get free shipping on Ready Hour four-week emergency food kits. You're not ready if it's not Ready Hour foods. At My Patriot Supply, you can also get solar power generators, water filtration units, heirloom seeds, and survival gear. Order by 3 p.m. and your unmarked boxes ship the same day. Shop MyPatriotSupply.com today. MyPatriotSupply.com